0: You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome to the Locked On NBA season preview. I'm Doug Branson, a producer here at Locked On and a guest host on Locked On Hornets. I'm going to be your guide as we skip across the country, division by division, previewing all 30 NBA teams with the help of our local experts. Plus, Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to give you waiver wire additions that will help supercharge your fantasy team. Chad Ford of Chad Ford's Big Board is profiling the rookies to watch, and rejecting the screen predicts the future. On this episode, we look at the Atlantic Division. Celtics, Knicks, Raptors, Sixers, and watch out for those new-look Nets. We begin in Brooklyn with the Locked On Nets podcast.
2: All right, it's Doug Norrie and Adam Armbrecht here from the Locked On Nets podcast, taking a look at what is in store for the 2020-2021 season for Brooklyn. Really should be a really, I mean, this is a, frankly a groundbreaking year for Brooklyn. It's uh, a season where the hopes are really, really high for obvious reasons. There's a, it's a season where there could be a lot on the line for different players, at different parts of their careers, uh, there's championship aspirations built in here, really just a ton to like about this the year and it's obvious the NBA likes it too because they are starting the season as both the opening night game and have a Christmas Christmas Day uh, game as well. The biggest story right now for us is Kevin Durant and whether he can return to his old form. This is a guy that when he left the Warriors uh, even though it was under um, you know not the best circumstances with the Achilles tear it was a season where we were talking about him in the top one or two at worst third, depending on how you wanted to make the list, players and basketball. And now returning from the Achilles tear, really all eyes are on if he can return to that level that had him at MVP or higher. I mean, he can't be higher than MVP, but MVP levels of just basketball. But Adam, when you look at this season, what you know kind of needs to happen outside of the Durant piece, um, which we know where all eyes are going to be on Kevin Durant, what do you think needs to happen uh, for the best case scenario uh, for this Nets team?
3: Yeah, I think you look at this roster, and we know they brought in a number of players through free agency in Brown and Shamit. You re signed Joe Harris. Now it's just about with KD and Kyrie getting onto the court. Getting defined roles for everybody, right? Identifying that starting rotation and then seeing who's going to be coming off the bench first. And just everybody really slotting in there, even a Torian Prince who, who was in murky waters last season around what he needed to do. If everyone knows where they're supposed to be and what their role is defined as, I think then it just becomes a much easier road to toe here, especially in the early going of the season. Totally agree. And I think if we're looking at this, um, it kind of, that
2: the best case scenario is really pretty aligned with the worst-case scenario, and that is, you know, you were saying, how do these pieces sort of mesh together? This is essentially a new team than what we saw from last year. Obviously, Durant's the focal point, didn't play at all. Kyrie is next in line, and he barely played last year because of injury. And, of course, they bring in Steve Nash and essentially an entirely new coaching staff outside of Jacques Vaughn to lead the way, Nash never having been a coach before. And I guess if I'm worried about a situation in Nets land this year, it's that... You know, Nash is maybe out of his depth. I don't think that's going to be the case, but there's a possibility of it. And the pieces just don't really mesh all that well in terms of the product on the basketball court and maybe even the personalities as well. So I think there is some risk here with the Nets that it doesn't all work as planned, because, again, you know, that we're looking at a team that's going to be totally new, including on the offensive and defensive end.
3: Yeah, and that's when we think about what's going to be different now on both ends of the court. I, I it's, it's hard to put a finger point on it. I think that something that we saw a taste of maybe even in the bubble is the faster pace, especially under Steve Nash and the style of play we anticipate. So hopefully we see even more of an up-tempo, especially offensively. And on the defensive end... I think it's just safe to assume this was a strong team, ninth overall in defense last season, but Kevin Durant's presence alone on the floor should allow guys that excel on that end of the court to hone in and really, you know, dig their heels in defensively. And that could increase the outlook for this team on the defensive side of the court. Will we become stoppers at certain points in the game? Yeah. This is also a team that took the fifth most threes in basketball last year
2: based on KD's. uh, you know, use of the mid-range in the past before Kyrie's ability to get to the rim as well I do think we see slightly fewer three-pointers uh, like you said a much faster pace with Nash and D'Antoni put together so I think the team definitely on offense is going to look different both stylistically and just in terms of firepower the team has significantly more firepower uh, than it had than it had last year and that's just what happens when you add two of the you know very best offensive players in all of basketball <laughs> and put and put them on the court together it does leave out some of these other guys, though, you know, are there, is there a chance you think there's a, a step back for any of the players that maybe stood out last season?
3: Yeah, it's got to be Karis LeVert, and that has nothing to do with how we feel about him or his game. It's just that he may get kind of buried on this on this depth in terms of shot opportunities and looks, and that could potentially. Mitigate what his stat lines look like and maybe how we feel about him in the big picture, whether it's on this roster or as we know, potentially he may not he may not be here. So what he does in the early stages could impact the next three, four seasons of his career. For sure. He's probably one of the
2: most likely if something big was to happen here in terms of his trajectory, that he's maybe just not a Brooklyn net when the season's over, if he becomes part of a package for another third star that Nets fans have long wanted to add to, <laughs> to, the, to the to the Kyrie and KD piece that they've never actually seen together um, and you're gonna see it this year so Lavert Lavert season is really one to keep an eye on uh, especially if he's if it comes down to it and he's no longer in the Brooklyn uniform best guess on the season season ending here I is it are we just completely championship or bust here is that how you see it uh, as we before we get into the season
3: I think appearance, at least, right? You talked about it. Kevin Durant comes back. He's what? Number two, number three at worst in the league. If he's the Kevin Durant we know, you add Kyrie and there's the wealth of depth here. You at least got to be there. I mean, tell me, name a team in the East that you don't think that this team can go toe-to-toe with and take on and, and get themselves into the final. And then you go from there.
2: That's championship or bust for the Brooklyn Nets. Really looking forward to this season. Should be a good one.
1: Celtics fans bleed green, but the franchise right now is bleeding star talent. Here's John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics, with a preview of a down-but-not-out Boston Celtics team.
4: Hey, thanks. Here's a look at the Boston Celtics' upcoming season with the biggest storylines. Hard to pick just one. Kemba Walker's knee is at the top of my list and how he responds to that stem cell injection in that left knee. That pain was a problem in the playoffs. It was a problem before the hiatus. They think they have this path towards strengthening it. And we'll see how that responds. If it responds well, then great. If it doesn't, then the Celtics are kind of in a bind. They've already lost Gordon Hayward. So another big storyline is how do they make up for the loss of Hayward and the combination of the loss of Hayward and the loss of Kemba Walker at the beginning of a condensed schedule. And Jason Tatum. What can he do? Can he ascend to an MVP level? Can he get into the top five level? If he can, that changes the calculus a lot For the Boston Celtics. And that's one of the things that I'm looking at when I look at a best case scenario. Jason Tatum does in fact ascend to that MVP level. If he can be that level of a player, then the Celtics are a contender. So the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum, who had a phenomenal close to the season, but struggled in the playoffs at times, can he reach another step forward? Beyond that, can Jalen Brown take another step forward? This is their team. Tatum and Brown are the two top options for the Boston Celtics. If Jalen Brown becomes an all-star, along with Jason Tatum, reaching that higher level, then the Boston Celtics really have something going on. A worst-case scenario is that Kemba's knee just never quite recovers, that he's a shell of himself. He can't stop and start that like he used to. And he just is a very expensive kind of role player from now on. Also, part of the worst case scenario is the Celtics get nothing of value from any of their young players or maybe marginal players. Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, Grant Williams, Shemi Ojale. A few of those guys are going to need to step up. That's going to be... Uh, something that the Celtics are going to need. If none of those things happen, the Celtics don't have a very good chance and might only win one round in the playoffs. When I look at this team offensively, because they've lost Gordon Hayward, because Kemba is going to be limited for so long, less of this ball movement egalitarian offense, and it's going to be more focused on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Pick and rolls. Maybe the Celtics incorporate some pick and rolls between Tatum and Brown. I've thought that Jalen Brown setting picks for Jason Tatum could be a really interesting option. I think him setting picks and popping can be very effective. Also, Marcus Smart's going to be looked at as a scorer a little bit more than usual. Tristan Thompson can add a rim-running element that doesn't cost you much as far as defensive drop-off like you would with Robert Williams. So a Marcus Smart-Tristan Thompson pick-and-roll would also be very, very interesting. But a pick-and-roll heavy offense for sure. Defensively, I think they're still going to be pretty good. Uh, They were a top five defense last year. I think that can continue. Tristan Thompson does upgrade from Ennis Cantor. So, between Daniel Tice and Thompson, the, the Celtics have solid defensive centers. And remember, Tice was the anchor of that top five defense last year. Tatum is a good defender. Brown's a good defender. Thompson is a good defender. They've got good defenders up and down this roster. The Celtics will be a very good defensive team, and they will hang their hat on that to win a lot of games. If I'm looking at a player whose career trajectory will be most impacted, there are a couple of different options. I think Jason Tatum is a big one because he could maybe step into that MVP level. If he's going to be an MVP-level player, I mean, that's a big positive impact. However, if he can't step up, then you'll hear a lot of the rumblings about, hey, is he really that good, or do the Celtics need to get another star? And this is where the future of the franchise might hinge. If Jason Tatum ascends to an MVP-level guy, then his career trajectory is Hall of Famer. But if he's not an MVP candidate this year... Then you start to wonder, I mean, he'll probably be an all-star, but can he carry a team? You start to get those questions. Kemba is definitely a potential bad trajectory because of that knee. And then if you look at that knee being a problem for the long term, you have to wonder if he's going to become trade bait. So Kemba Walker's career trajectory can go from key player on a championship contender to never really could contribute started to get hurt, fell apart, another small guard that fell apart after he turned 30. As far as how this season ends, I can see the Celtics struggling early and then pick it up Towards the end and I think they can finish on a high note but the question really becomes how much damage would a slow start do and do they finish with a tough seed are they a four seed or a five seed do they have to play one of those real tough teams and have a real tough road to get to the conference finals or NBA finals they could easily go from a second round exit depending on things how things go to a finals berth. Right now I'm looking at them, maybe struggling and almost having a similar year as last year, struggling to get past the second round, maybe getting past the second round and losing in the conference finals. That will change, though, if Danny Ainge can properly use that traded player exception. That's the look at the Boston Celtics regular season. I'm John Corrales, host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for daily content like nowhere else covering the Boston Celtics. Thanks, and back to you.
1: Coming up on the Locked On NBA Season Preview, we hear from a team desperate for a draft hit, a team playing home games over 1,000 miles from their home city, and a team hoping a dock cures what ails them. Knicks, Raptors, and Sixers up next. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they are gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com.
5: Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd here. Just looking at some potential waiver wire players who might be available in the Atlantic division. I'll start in Boston with Kimber Walker said to miss the beginning of the season. Jeff Teague's a guy who's going to be around. He's probably going to be the starter, and if he's not the starter, he will play some decent minutes at the early part of the season. Teague off the waiver wire is going to be a really interesting player when Kemba comes back that reduces, but he's a guy to look at at this point. For the Raptors, it's the center position. Is it going to be Chris Boucher or Aaron Baines? You might be able to find one or both of those guys on the waiver wire. If they play even minutes, Boucher is the better fantasy option. But both guys can have appeal and can have use. So take a look at whether your uh, waiver wire consists of Chris Boucher or Aaron Baines, and they're both going to be available options for you there. Um, to add and uh, stream in when necessary. The Knicks rotation is a little bit up and down at this point. We don't know the starting center, whether it's going to be Mitchell Robinson or Nerland's Noel. If Nerland's Noel is on your waiver wire, he is an automatic add to me because even in limited minutes, he can be really useful. His ability to get steals and blocks with a high field goal percent is huge. We also don't know what's happening at point guard. Alfred Payton might be on your waiver wire. If he is, he's absolutely an add to me, as is Alec Burks, who may actually be starting in the backcourt alongside Payton, a guy that can shoot threes, can generate his own shot, Alec is can score, and the Knicks don't really have a huge abundance of those players. so. Payton, Noel, Burks, all these guys who may or may not be on your waiver wire for the Knicks, they're definitely people to have a look at, and they might be able to provide some value. For the Philadelphia 76ers, I imagine Seth Curry is going to have a pretty large role. He can be undrafted in some leagues. If he is, I'd be scooping him up. I imagine he's going to be a starter. He's going to bang in threes and do it at a really high rate. And then if you're looking for defensive numbers, Matisse Thibel is one of the best in the business, getting steals and guard uh, not steals and guard, steals and blocks from the guard position, And uh, getting those numbers in such high volume that even in limited minutes and doing nothing offensively, Theibel can be a really, really useful player for fantasy basketball. So there's a bunch of guys in the Atlantic Division who might be available on your waiver wire that you can have a look at and go and add.
1: Thank you, Josh. Make sure you're checking out all of the other episodes of this Locked On NBA season preview series for more of Josh's fantasy wisdom. Few teams have shuffled the deck more than the New York Knicks. New coach? New front office, but will it be the same old story in the Mecca? Here's Locked On Knicks.
6: This is Alex Wolf. I am the editor in chief of Knicks Blog. The Strickland. You can find me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf, and you can find Locked On Nicks on Twitter at Locked On Knicks. And I am joined by Gavin Shaw. Gavin, what's good? Hey, Alex.
7: Excited to be here and excited to get into this preview. So, biggest storyline heading into the season for the New York Knicks. It is the new front office. There's a new GM. There's a new coach, there's a new staff, there are new players up and down the roster. It is a completely new Knicks team. But we've heard this story before, Alex, a new regime comes in says they're going to do things different, says they're going to take their time in the rebuild this time. Uh, We've been waiting 20 years. It has not happened up to this point. But so far, Leon Rose and company have walked the walk. They've haven't overspent in free agency. They've retained picks. They've retained their young players. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Um, what I'm most interested to see is the development of the young key pieces on this Knicks team, namely Mitchell Robinson, namely R.J. Barrett, and prized rookie Obi Toppin. All those guys interacting together is going to be fascinating, and particularly how they incorporate free agents such as Alec Burks, Austin Rivers, Nerlens Noel, and whether they can up their value and potentially turn them into picks. Or if they play so well, maybe they're part of the Knicks' long-term future. But Alex, what needs to happen for that best-case scenario to play out?
6: Yeah, I think it sort of leads into what you just said there, right? The Knicks need to play their young players a lot. They need to be patient with them. They need to let them learn through their mistakes, and they need to basically pretend that the wins and losses don't exist. I think it's really important for the Knicks this year, especially with how stacked next year's draft class is, to prioritize developing their current players to figure out what they have in certain guys like Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nilakina, who are up for rookie extensions slash restrictive free agency next year, as well as Mitchell Robinson, who could have his uh, rookie extension as soon as next year. Basically, Leon Rose and the new front office need to have, you know, need to take advantage of the patience and goodwill that they have from owner James Dolan in their first year on the job. You know, traditionally, Dolan doesn't start getting angry until about year three uh, of a certain regime before he starts, you know, thinking about maybe axing them. So, that, you know, they need to take advantage of that goodwill right now. Uh, The preseason, you know, they're saying stuff like our goal is the playoffs and all that, all the platitudes. Hopefully, that's all just talk. And Tom Thibodeau in the front office realized that this year is about assessing the current young players and, you know, hopefully looking forward to next year's draft already, where the Knicks have two first round picks, their own and the Dallas pick from the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade. But, Gavin, uh, you know, we don't often get to, experience best case scenarios in New York what do you think is the worst case scenario that we could run into this year
7: well it's essentially the opposite of what you just said and to your point a lot of it is contingent on how Tom Thibodeau coaches this team Um, and part of the reason you and I were hesitant about the hire is there is a world where this goes really bad and that's if if Tibbs is who he's been in the past to some extent, and he's completely fixated on win-loss record and somehow willing this team into the playoffs. It's not going to happen no matter how hard Tom Thibodeau tries, but it could potentially hurt the Knicks lottery odds and perhaps more importantly, hurt the Knicks' development of their young fulcrums. Um, if someone like Opie Toppin doesn't translate the way we hope he does, and, and there were some indicators in his underlying analytics in college that his offense might not translate to the NBA, he had a low free throw rate, shot well from three, but on a very low number of attempts. Uh, R.J. Barrett doesn't continue to develop as a jump shooter. Mitchell Robinson gets some foul trouble, potentially has some off-the-court trouble, which there have been a, a, a slight, slight hints of, of immaturity, if nothing else, for Mitch there's a scenario where, where he doesn't play quite as much and someone like Nerlens Noel plays a lot more. And given the fact that Mitch is the Knicks' current most promising prospect, that would be a big issue. So Alex, um, how are the Knicks going to be different offensively and defensively this year? You would assume with that new front office, with Tom Thibodeau in place, uh, we're going to see a dis- some distinct stylistic differences in this Knicks team.
6: Yeah, it's difficult to say for certain how things are going to be out on the floor, but Tibbs has preached getting to the line and generating threes as a stated goal for this season on offense. So that is promising. That's something that the Knicks have not prioritized previously. They've been one of the more mid-rangey sort of teams in the league in recent years. And so for them to take a departure from that would certainly be helpful. Of course, at his last two stops, though, Tom Thibodeau, you know, didn't really prioritize threes and his teams were near the bottom of the league in that category. Really, we just need to see some growth out of Tibbs. After he's been off the sidelines for a couple of years, and his Minnesota tenure didn't really go that great uh, defensively, he's probably you know chomping at the bit having Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel as his tandem in the middle. That's probably one of the best defensive center you know tandems in the league. That should give the Knicks 48 minutes of rim protection if they need it or want it. Uh, and he also has a pretty decent stable of solid to great perimeter defenders up and down the roster. His ice method, you know, on defense once redefined NBA defense about 10 years ago. Now it's up to him to kind of build on that and hopefully create a simple yet effective system that the young players can latch onto and master before getting into more advanced concepts. Because part of what was the problem with David Fisdale. And others that have coached the Knicks in recent years is that they tried to do too much, unfortunately. I will take us into one of the final questions here, Gavin. We were asked to pick whose career trajectory is most impacted by this season, either good or bad. My answer is uh, either Frank Milikina or Dennis Smith Jr. Both guys are from that 2017 draft class. They have a lot to prove before restricted free agency next year, namely, if well, okay, so Frank doesn't have to prove that he's an NBA player. I think he's already an elite NBA defender, but he needs to prove that he can be effective on offense as he was at the end of last year, and so show some consistency and confidence and aggressiveness. Dennis Smith Jr. just needs to prove he can be an NBA player, period. Um he had a really, really bad season last year for a multitude of reasons. He probably tops out as a microwave bench scoring point guard at this point if he can, you know, get his value back up, but If his value doesn't come up from last year, he's probably not an NBA player, period. All right, Alex, for our best guess on how the season ends, I think the Knicks are going to have
7: about the third worst record in the league. The Cleveland Cavaliers are the only team on paper that, I I mean, I I hesitate to even say definitively worst because there's certainly a chance the Knicks are the worst team in the league. But I I would say the Cavs are the the team that is most in the Knicks stratosphere talent-wise. I could see a team like the Pistons also falling off and being pretty bad. I don't think their pieces make any sense. Um, or the Minnesota Timberwolves just because that Western Conference is so highly competitive. But I I think it's a certainty that the Knicks finish with one of the worst records in basketball. Uh, How about you? How do you think the Knicks finish?
6: I think ultimately the Knicks are going to end up with somewhere around the top five or six lottery odds again. Uh, And then I think predictably they're going to drop two spots and whatever the... The consensus is that this is a X number of players draft class. The Knicks will end up one pick outside of that because that's just kind of how it always goes. So, you know, by the end of 2021, we'll be, or, you know, the end of the 2020 to 21 season, we'll be saying, oh, this is a seven player draft class. The Knicks will end up at pick eight or something like that. But that's all for our little season preview here. You can follow us again on Twitter at Knicks. I'm at the Alex Wolf on Twitter. He is at Gavin Shaw on Twitter. And uh, we hope to, you know, have you guys listen during the season, and uh, hope everybody enjoys this upcoming NBA season.
1: To get from Toronto to Tampa Bay, it's a 21-hour drive, a stop through customs, and probably a stay in quarantine. That was the Raptors' reality as they picked up shop to play from the Bay. Here's Locked On Raptors with more.
8: Hey, what's up? It's Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors to tee up your 2020-21 Toronto Raptors season. There's probably two big storylines to keep an eye on for the Raptors coming into this season. Number one is an off-the-court thing. It's they're in Tampa-freaking-Bay, Florida for this season because of Canada's restrictions on travel over the border. They will be in Tampa, at least for the first half of the season. We'll see how vaccines and rapid testing change things going forward. But for now, they're playing out of Amelie Arena in Tampa, which is going to be a huge burden. They have the most travel miles on the schedule in the first half of the year among any NBA team. And it's going to be tough. And that could affect them any number of ways. They could, you know, be deflated and and they're living out of a suitcase and they could come out flat and maybe not have their hearts in it, which would be totally understandable. Or they could sort of embrace the fact that they're in Tampa to play basketball and play basketball only and do the resilient Raptors thing they've done in recent years and continue to be very good. The other thing, too, to keep an eye on is Pascal Siakam, who was dreadful in the bubble. He was really, really good up until the shutdown, was sort of flexing his muscles as a number one option. He was second team All-NBA for a reason, but in the bubble, he really, really let himself down. He even spoke about how he was not mentally there in the bubble. He just never really got into a rhythm and was probably the reason the Raptors lost in seven to Boston. Had he been 20% better than the player he was against the Celtics, the Raptors are probably in the conference finals and maybe an NBA finalist once again. So Pascal Siakam's bounce back is going to be a big story to keep an eye on here as well. What needs to happen for the best case scenario for this team? It's probably very much tied up in Pascal Siakam and having internal growth, not only from him, but from other guys in the team who need to take steps forward. They lost, obviously, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul. They lose some of that veteran continuity they've had. But in Fred VanVleet, OGN and OB, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, you have guys who are all still in their early to mid-20s who still have room to grow. And if those guys all take steps forward, then you're looking at a team that's going to, I think, be pretty much just as good as they were last year year once you account for the losses of Ibaka and Gasol but factor in the replacements that came in in Aaron Baines and Alex Lennon for those guys the worst case scenario comes if there's stagnation if there's not internal growth if Pascal Siakam is still kind of haunted by the demons of the bubble and can't quite find his form from the regular part of last season before the shutdown if Fred Van Vliet continues to struggle with his finishing and his ability to run a pick and roll quickly and decisively if OG Ananobi caps out as a very good fourth or fifth option who's not much on offer offense and is a very good defender that's great but that will certainly be a letdown from what I think should be a breakout season for OG and so yeah it it really does all kind of hinge on internal development from that sort of shadow core that they've been developing for four or five years now that was there and contributed to the title and is now the core of the team How will the Raptors be different on offense and defense than they were last year? Don't expect much of a difference on defense. They're going to be maniacal. They're going to fly all over the place. They're going to overcompensate and depend on their rotations to get back in place. And they're probably going to do it really damn well. This is a team that uh, a lot of teams tried to copy in the way they defended last season. They gave up a ton of corner threes, more than any team, I believe, in the history of the NBA. And they still had the number two defense in the NBA because of their ability to track and recover at Pascal Siakam, being maybe the best contester of corner threes in the entire NBA, that is going to very much be the defensive identity for this team. Offensively, I would expect a bit of an update and a refresh. Chris Finch was brought in uh, to be one of the lead assistants. He's going to run the offense, it seems, uh, from the New Orleans Pelicans. He's friends with Nick Nurse going back to their days coaching in England. And I would imagine Chris Finch will kind of get the keys to the offense. Nick Nurse has often been a very hands-off coach on the offensive side of the ball. He's a defensive wizard. Offensively, he just kind of likes to let guys play and have freedom and kind of do their thing. I think Chris Finch might sort of put a coach's impression on the offense a little bit more often. He's talked about wanting to insert more randomness and a little bit more unpredictability into what the Raptors do. I would expect we'll see a bit more of an imprint in terms of set calls and things like that from the playbook of Chris Finch for the Raptors offense this season. The player whose career trajectory is most impacted by this season, good or bad, I think it's OG Ananobi. He has not yet gotten paid. He is up for an extension right now going into the final year of his rookie deal. I don't think he's going to receive that extension because the Raptors want to keep their money open for 2021, where they have very clear intentions to try to lure Giannis Tentacumpo away from Milwaukee. If Giannis signs the Supermax, then maybe OG gets an extension right away. But if he doesn't, eh, I think they're going to wait on OG. And he really could stand to make himself a ton of money. If he comes out and plays to the all-defense level that he can be on. on that end of the floor, if he can improve his offensive game from being more than just a spot-up threat, then this is a guy who's probably looking at north of $20 bucks going into next summer when he's going to be up for a new contract. If he stagnates, then he's probably going to cap himself at, at most $15 bucks a year. So this year will tell a lot as to what I think the sort of reputation of O.J. Ananobi will be going forward. And lastly, the best guess I have for how this season ends, I think the Raptors are going to win a lot of games. Look, they lost Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka, but they were also a 53-19 and team last year in 72 games. They were horribly injured the entire season and still pulled out that record, the best winning percentage in franchise history. And I don't think the drop-off from Ibaka Gasol to Baines Len and Chris Boucher is going to cost them that much in the win department. They have everybody else. There should be internal growth from the likes of OG and Siakam and Van Vliet that we talked about. And I really think we're going to see this Raptors team win a ton of games once again, as they always do, and probably be a top four team in the Eastern Conference and probably end up with once again, a pretty noble second round exit to a good team in, you know, six or seven games like they had last year against Boston, and then look ahead, turn their attention to the summer of 2021, where they're going to have a ton of cap space, a ton of maneuverability, and ideally, they will be right in the running to land Giannis Attentacompo. So that's the best guess I have for how this Raptors season goes. It's going to follow what it has for years they've hit their vegas over eight years in a row i'm not expecting that to end this year
1: coming up on the locked on nba season preview chad ford tells you which rookies to watch out for in the atlantic division and keith pompey has a look at a sixers team looking to go from on the verge to in the finals but first i don't know who needs to hear this but here you go you deserve to feel better than you do today and you can with headspace They make meditation simple. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Three minutes, that's all it takes. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash lockedonNBA. That's headspace.com slash lockedonNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation.
9: I'm Chad Ford, host of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board Podcast. These are the rookies to watch in the Atlantic Division. It starts with the New York Knicks, who drafted Obi Toppin. Perhaps maybe the best college basketball player in the country last year out of Dayton. He's an old sophomore at 22 years old. The Knicks drafted him because they think that he can be an immediate impact player. And that's what he projects to be right now for the New York Knicks. Actually, one of the guys that I think could end up being the rookie of the year. He's an explosive athlete, finishes above the basket, showed an ability to stretch the floor this year. Really an amazing guy out in transition. The question's going to be about how versatile he is on the defensive end. His hips are a little stiff. If he doesn't earn playing time for New York, it's probably going to be because he's struggling defensively to be able to keep up with players in the NBA. The second prospect to watch is out of Boston, Aaron Neesmith, the sharp shooting wing player from Vanderbilt who could arguably be called the best shooter in the draft this year. Shot over 50% from three on a high volume at Vanderbilt last year. A little bit surprised he slipped to the Celtics at 14. He's a perfect fit in Boston for a guy who can just stretch the floor. He can play a little defense. He's not an elite defender. But what he's really going to be there to do is spotting up taking a bunch of jump shots for Boston. They really needed a knockdown three-point shooter, and I think Nismith can play that role, a sort of J.J. Redick-type role for Boston, even as a freshman. Then you go to Philadelphia. Tyrese Maxey, the two-guard out of Kentucky, falls the 21 in the draft. The Sixers pick him up. He is an exciting basketball player. He's a scorer. He really uh, knows how to get to the basket. He can play a little bit of one, though I think primarily he's a two. Question's going to be about his jump shot. It didn't really go in at Kentucky his freshman year. And his ability to maybe play on the ball and handle the ball a little bit. You don't need that as much with Ben Simmons uh, in, in Philadelphia right now. But as a backup point guard, those are going to be where his values are. I'm not sure he's going to reach it. That's why he slipped a little bit in the draft, but he's an interesting prospect nonetheless. And finally, in Toronto, Malachi Flynn played at San Diego State last year. One of my favorite prospects in the draft. Slides all the way to 29. A guy who really just knows how to play the game. He's such an electric player on both ends of the basketball. Shot it really well for San Diego State last year. He is the consummate tough, culture Raptors guy who I think is going to earn some minutes coming off the bench in Toronto, even as a rookie. If you want to find out more about the 2020 draft or the upcoming 2021 NBA draft, follow me at Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Tell me if you've heard this one before. Two superstars that may or may not get along. A team that is seemingly always in the conversation but never in the finals. No, I'm not talking about the Los Angeles Clippers, but the Philadelphia 76ers do have the Clippers' old coach. Here's Locked On Sixers with a preview.
10: Hello, this is Keith Pompey of Locked On 76ers with the Sixers preview edition. You know, the biggest storyline heading into this season is the, the new look Sixers. How the team looks differently. Right now you have Doc Rivers, Um, his first year with the team after spending the past seven seasons with the Los Angeles Clippers. You have Daryl Morey, the new team president of basketball operations who spent, you know, the last couple years or several years with the uh, Houston Rockets. Right now they have a lot of shooters around the team. They have Seth Curry. They have Danny Green. They went out there and got a backup center in Dwight Howard. The goal is to spread the floor, to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid the much-needed space that they need. So right now, we're going to see if they, the new shooters, the, the new front office, the new coach, can get the Sixers deep in the playoffs. Now, the thing that needs to happen for this team to be successful is I think that We need to see Ben Simmons take a step forward in the playoffs. I mean, yes, I'm talking about the playoffs right now. Because I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the Sixers be successful in the regular season. They're going to spread the ball around. They're going to do a lot of things. They're going to get out and run. But in order for them to make that next step, we're going to have to see Ben Simmons become more of a a well-rounded player. We're going to have to see him knock down jumpers. It doesn't have to be three-pointers, but mid-range jumpers. We're going to have to see him um, go to the foul line and have a lot of success there. You know, now, in regards to how dominant the Sixers are going to be in the regular season, I think they're a year away from that, from being the, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference in the regular season. But I think in order for them to be successful in the playoffs, it all depends on, on, on Ben Simmons. Now, the worst-case scenario is if Ben Simmons doesn't improve his game, if if Danny Green um, doesn't, like, if Danny Green shows up to be like Danny Green of, of last year, not Danny Green of, of two years ago, if, if Seth Curry struggles in the starting lineup, because right now I predict that Seth Curry is going to be the starting two guard. You know, he came from Dallas where he, you know, he started a little bit, but for the most part, he came off the bench and, and provided a spark with his shooting. So the right that right there is worst case scenario. Well, offensively, the difference offensively for the Sixers is, it's basically going to be that they have shooters. You know, last year they had Al Horford, who was great, who is great, but he just was a bad fit when he was on the floor with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So the spacing was horrible. Right now, when you have Seth Curry and Danny Green, you have these shooters, it's going to open up a lot of spacing for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to operate. And then you have Tobias Harris. So right then and there, I think that it's going to be a a, a more wide open offense, like the spacing is going to be better. Defensively, I know they talk a lot about defense and this and that, but You know, I don't see that much of a difference. Um, I I look at it. I see Ben Simmons with all-league defender guard. You know, I look at Shake Milton. I look at Terrence Ferguson. I look at Danny um, Green. um, I look at Tobias Harris. You know, these are guys who can defend. I see these guys coming out there and playing better, playing well. Now, the Sixers gave up a lot last year um, on that end. They were very inconsistent. So I think the biggest difference is that I, I look at them to be a little bit more consistent. You know, a player with the whose career tra- trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, mm, I will say Seth Curry. I think that, you know, Seth Curry, this is an opportunity for him to prove that he is a full-time starter. I think with him playing with Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid is going to open up some things. Not saying that um, playing with Luka Doncic last year didn't. Um, it did for him. But I think in the starting lineup, you know, he can come out here and he could be kind of sort of like did how J.J. Redick was for the Sixers a couple years ago. He can be that guy and be dominant, right? I look for him to get a lot of looks. I look for him to... Um, space to floor for the, for the big men. Um, I look for you know him to have kind of like a career year. And I think that you know right now when we think of uh, Seth Curry a, a, as good as he is, you know he he was he is a great shooter in his own right. He was ranked third in three point percentage the last two years. We always look at him and compare him to his father and to his brother. But I think that this year could be the year where we just start saying, you know, Seth is his own person. My best guess for how this season is going to end. You know, I think that right now, as much as I'm hyping the Sixers up, I still don't look at them saying they could go in there and beat Milwaukee. I don't look at them and saying that they could beat Brooklyn. I think they'll have a hard time beating uh, Boston. Um So in Miami, I think, you know, I I think they could probably go with Miami with the additions that they have. Right. So I look at the Sixers as possibly, you know, battling for that four or five seed, maybe even six. But if they get the six seed, I don't see them possibly getting out of the first round. Right. If they get the five seed, I could see them possibly getting out of the first round and losing in the second round. I think they're still a way, a year away for them to make that jump. Now, again, if they make a trade and they go out there and get a perimeter closer, then yes, I can see them getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But right now, man, I, I just don't see it. Like, but if they went out there and got a James Harden. Um, I think that they could go ahead and they could make it to the finals. I do, the Eastern Conference finals.
1: Now we go to the team at Rejecting the Screen. They are looking into the future and predicting the
0: headlines for each division. Adam, Noah, take it away. Rejecting the Screen, Noah Koslov and Adam Stanko with our Atlantic Division headlines of tomorrow. Adam, I'm going to go with the New York Knicks. That's where I'm going to stay because the Atlantic Division has four of the top six teams in the Eastern Conference with Philly, Boston, Brooklyn, and Toronto. And then there are the Knicks. And we've seen the headlines over all the years. It's it's never the coach's fault in New York. It's always the players and then also the front office. So Leon Rose probably going to get a pass from media in New York in his first year because of all those connections he has, the players aren't going to get a pass where the players are certainly not going to get a pass, and the coach, clearly, Tom Thibodeau, is going to have these guys playing hard, as we can see those headlines. But my headline will be, Big Apple Core? Who is the core of the New York Knicks? It's Obi Toppin, but who else belongs in that core? And that's what the Knicks are going to have to figure out, because in the past, in this century... They've been to four playoffs. They have one playoff series win and seven playoff game wins in this century. They've got to build a core that can get you a playoff win or
11: at least a playoff appearance. A core who can do something on the court, Noah. How about that? (laughs) Uh, For me, the headline in the Atlantic is everybody eats. Why do I say that? Because... The bottom three of the conference, they're all taking a major leap forward. You just mentioned the Knicks. I love what they're doing, adding Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly in the draft. Also, obviously, Thibodeau is going to make a difference there. You talk about the deficiencies they may have, yes, but I think they're a better team than they were last year. Then you go to Philly. Add Danny Green, Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey, Isaiah Joe. In the draft, plus Terrence Ferguson, you add in Doc Rivers, his coaching style, Daryl Morey already making a major difference in terms of the contract situations. They're much improved. The Nets, we know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant joining that young core, to use your terminology, Karis Lavert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and it's under that Mike D'Antoni system being run by Steve Nash with D'Antoni as an assistant. And of course, the top of the conference is still going to be contenders. You got Toronto Returns, they're basically the same starting five. Aaron Baines now in at the five. They were on pace to win 60 games last year. And Boston, that tandem of Kemba, Smart, Brown, Tatum, well, they add Tristan Thompson, Jeff Teague, Aaron Nismith, Peyton Pritchard. Shore up that backcourt, get some shooting from, from their guards. So everyone's going to eat in the Atlantic.
1: Thanks for listening to the Locked On NBA season preview. We've got previews on all 30 teams coming soon or on the feed now, depending on when you are listening. Subscribe to Locked On NBA and your favorite team podcast if you haven't already. Stay safe, stay warm, enjoy the NBA season, everybody.